Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Beata Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum Podcast. It's Alicia sometimes flying solo here, and I've just been speaking to HG Nelson. Yes, HG Nelson of Roy and HG, The Sporting Life, The Monday Dump, The Cream, and so much more. He's just written a book called The Fairy Tale, and he's been saying gems just like this. I went overseas like lots of young people and came back and found myself at a loose end. All I wanted to do was leave again. But it was AFL football in particular that made me think, you know, on that one day in September, uh, you know, the only place to be is Australia because this is the only place in the world that understands this. That was a big thing. I just have to say congratulations on writing a book. I know, it's an incredible achievement. Um, Look, um, we got, uh, I think both of us, that's Roy and HG, got a bit stuck in COVID, not being able to roam around like everybody else. And the book has emerged, I think, out of the gloom of COVID. And uh, I should point out that uh, Roy has written a wonderful book called Blessed, bit hard to explain that quickly, but um, (laughs) it's about about Roy Slavin's growing up in uh, Nuriutpa. And I tackled um, a much easier theme, really, and that is a real and imagined history of Australian sport. (laughs) Well, it is this real and imagined eucalyptus tree climbing fairy tale. And up front, you say a sporting nation is only limited by its imagination. I think that um, sport is rapidly changing its relationship to the society as a whole. And I would say its its role is now only limited by the imagination. We note this week, for instance, that Bert Newton uh, has died. And Bert, of course, for those who follow television, in company, encompasses the whole history of free-to-air television. Um, he, he saw the rise and fall of it completely. And now the only thing that holds an audience is sport. And so sport's in a really privileged position where it can set the agenda completely. And uh, I have a colleague at the ABC who makes a regular radio program about sport, and all she does is talk about governance. She talks about governance issues, and governance issues range widely from, you know, uh, head injuries to concussion to medical uh, interests to how it's uh, how you know you might find that the Newcastle Football Club in England has t- been taken over by Saudi Arabia and whether this is a good idea or the ructions everything is t- in this show is about governance and I find this a staggering thing that somebody now can run a radio program that is only about governance in sport. The other side of that is, of course, is that all the 
tropes and elements of show business are now dumped on sport. We only have to think of Jordan Degoe's recent adventures in New York. Now, mm. I don't want to get involved in the problem of, I mean, there's a legal system and he may be away from football for some time one way or another. So it's been a, a, a very bad and undefensible incident. But on the day of the Melbourne Cup, what were radio stations talking about across Australia? Not the Melbourne Cup. They were talking about Jordan Degoe. And that is where sport is up to. Of course, the Melbourne Cup is looks as though it's in uh, a sort of decline. So I'm, I'm not sure how far I'd push that boat out. Certainly the gambling money is going up, but the interest in the Melbourne Cup, I've never seen a flatter Melbourne Cup ever. <laughs> Well, it's right that we've always got our eye on sport and it was so evident during the Olympics when if we weren't walking to the front fence, we were watching fencing. And I love that you wrote the Olympics was the evolution of the International School Sports Carnival. What does the Olympics mean to our national identity? Well, this is a, a, a really complicated question. The thing is that uh, the Olympics currently is a gold, obviously using the uh, language of the Olympics, it's a, it's a gold seam that we seem to set off every four years with our picks and shovels and our bikes and speedos and we try and hit it. And this has become a, a, a distorting influence, I think, in Australian sport. Um, the idea that you and I talking here would be mad if we weren't thinking Paris in 2024, if we weren't thinking, well, even sooner, if we weren't thinking Beijing, never mind the politics, in uh, 2022. And what would we be having a crack at? Well, I think you and I would be mad if we didn't turn out for the biathlon. Now, I've got no interest in the biathlon, yet it seems to me neither is anybody else in Australia, so it might be a good sport to start in. So the whole <laughs> thing gets... Um, you know, distorted by these, um, you know, inappropriate enthusiasms, uh, which, again, I'll come back to the question about the imagination, which are in people's imaginations. Um, you know, the cool, the fabulous one, of course, is cool runnings, and I do see that I think they've got a team going, hopefully going to Beijing, the Jamaicans, and an Australian, I think, is helping them with their physiotherapy or some aspect of their training. And I find that a really interesting idea that you don't really have to be good at anything to actually get to the Olympics, and that's why I said it's like a school sports carnival. <laughs> well, I loved, loved surfing, and skateboarding held my attention so much. But it sounds like in the book you kind of want to bring back tug of war. Oh, wouldn't that be magical? Tug of war. Uh, you see... Yeah, tug of war, what an interesting thing that is at the Olympic level. It was sort of a very dominant thing in the early 1920s or through the 1920s, but it fell foul of the administrators because there was questions about the nationalities of team. What, what am I telling you this for? You can tell me exactly why it fell foul. People wearing the wrong footwear, people <laughs> cheating, people, and then they couldn't establish the rules. So the rules, was it six in a team? Was it five in a team? Was it four in a team? And when the police were the only people, I think the English police were the only people who turned up in Stockholm, they thought, well, it's actually not talking to many kids. Uh, so they had to let it go. 
But um, I, I do think that the sport that surprised me most, which I didn't think it would, was the freestyle BMX. I thought that was just remarkable. Now, I, I haven't seen this vision, but the vision of the British athlete who won gold by doing a double backwards somersault with the bike. Now, uh, that is some trick. And you ask yourself, how did you ever learn that? How did you ever get the courage to do that? How did you ever see that that was a possibility? So then again, the imagination comes into play. The imagination in those sports is big. Well, yes, I have my breath for the whole thing. And I love that there's so much poetry in this book. You write of an early Australian Olympic shooter that he could bag a budgie from 200 metres with his head in a paper bag and ping a parrot from the car park sitting in the back seat of a Benz. Now, tell us what it might be like for those early Olympians, those early Australians on the world Olympic stage. Well, this is um, this is uh, really, I mean, I... I, obviously, I asked the people reading the book to make up their mind which bits are true and which bits are imagined. And, you know, fairly obviously you've just hit on a bit that's imagined <laughs> for the sake of the argument. But, um, look, it was a really enthusiasm of sport at its absolute sort of purest. Now, I'm not defending the shooting of pigeons or anything like that, but what happened is people raised their own money in the main. They trained themselves. When they got there, they often found, uh, I think in uh, St Louis, which was early on, there was no accommodation. They had to find a way of camping out in the in the parks and stuff like this. Of you know, they the New South Wales, as it was called then, Ladies Swimming Association, wouldn't let Fanny Durack go. You may you may know all this, um, and so she defied authority to go. And I uh, went with Mina Wiley, of course, the famous person of the Wiley Bards. Um, and um, I just found these stories, um, the, I've got to be honest, is they speak to me of how sport should be. Um, I am concerned that a lot of people aren't playing, aren't involved in sport really for the fact that sport's good for you, that sport is actually a, a reward in itself because it improves your health, all these sort of things. Now, I mean, people's eyes will glaze over if I start talking like this because when it gets down to it, the only thing that matters is winning. Now, the weirdest thing is if you look at winning, it doesn't teach you anything. Winning is what you were meant to do. The Melbourne Demons learnt nothing by winning the flag in the AFL, but the Bulldogs, I bet you learnt a whole lot more because they worked out where they were going wrong. So the whole thing is sort of skewed in a funny sort of way and I find it, easier to uh, understand and try and put myself in the idea of the problems that are in front of somebody as an athlete and them overcoming that, that that is the reward. Never mind the fact that you can win. Of course, the Australian government sees it in an entirely different way. <laughs> we might have to come back to the government because you use a few politicians' names quite creatively throughout the book. <laughs> And it is that thing that we want to be there. We want to live vicariously through sport and we don't always see the same things. 80,000 people at uh, the MCG see Collingwood play Essendon, say uh, Anzac Day or in a final, and when the umpire blows his whistle, 40,000 think he's completely accurate and there's not a final decision made in football 
and 40,000 pe- people think he's completely fucking hopeless and the sooner we get rid of him, the better. Now, that's what creates the, that's what creates the tension in the sport. It's the idea that you're there when these things happen. You're living that experience and you have an attitude towards it that makes it work. That's the same in rugby league. I mean, it's the same in all sport, really. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Sabrina Frederick, and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. I love that you start this book somewhere very unexpected, and that is with Barry Crocker. You talk about the 1977 grand final. It was first broadcast live into Victoria and had pre-game entertainment. And there's Barry Crocker with his whitish tan suit. And I saw on YouTube that he was holding his hands as he sang the national anthem, reading each lyric and I just want to know what this meant for sport in Australia and Victoria to have all this pre-game massive entertainment. Well this is a big story and I'm not sure that that it's got a way to run this story and what happened was that my view of this is that the AFL slash VFL decided that the game itself wasn't big enough to hold and attract a crowd. And they uh, foolishly thought that by employing people from another part of the world of entertainment, show business, would encourage that, would encourage the crowd to come, would encourage, oh, Barry Crocker singing, you, beauty, uh, King of Mumba and Gold Logie winner, and wouldn't it be great if Barry was there? You know, I'd be able to see Barry sing The Impossible Dream, etc. So that's got wildly out of hand and it's not right i from my point of view it's not right to consider that the whole skewing of the grand final entertainment who's going to be there what will they sing will there be other people there which takes over the big day out concept uh with football um and of course the big day out doesn't exist anymore so it's got that element or of it and i think that is a, a sad sort of indictment on the failure of sport to be able to do what it's meant to do best, and that is hold an audience. And I find that uh, my, as I write in the book, is that this is creeping into, you know, like racing has got that very badly and racing has the problem of gambling attached to it. And so you think, well, these people are, are performing so as people will put bets on this race or drawing attention to the fact that people should be betting on this race. I'm not sure how comfortable I feel with that now. Anyway, that's a long story, and I, I and I and oddly enough, I hadn't seen that YouTube vision. Uh, I remember it, I was v- pretty young at the time, and I was hoping that that I can remember clearly hoping it would sell out uh, because then I'd be able to watch it on TV. And of course, not long after that, I was lucky enough to start calling the matches because they were on TV in Melbourne. Yeah, what a great seat that you've had. Has that made you more passionate and excited about sport 
or more jaded being up so close to the game? You've got no idea how much I've enjoyed it. <laughs> you've got no idea how much I've enjoyed it. Um, you've got to remember, of course, we're not downtown with any of this. We're not, we're not seeking to uh, have our we're, – we're seeking to do something with technology and sport. We're not seeking to be there in the way that we pretend we're there, like we pretend everything, but, but we pretend we're there. We're behind the card table. If only the camera would swing around a bit more, they'd be able to see us there. But, um, you know, you've got no idea how rewarding that is to do. And, and, and you've got no idea how, um, you know, humbling it is to realise that this gives you an insight in how difficult it is to play these games because you sit there and watch the minutiae of the game unfold on the greatest day of the year or the most important day of the year. And uh, I, I've, I've always said this, that we always sided with the players. You know, we... Um, you know, the players are the people who make it all possible. The players are the people who take the knocks and the players are the people who are probed by Brian Taylor and others, you know, for a better <laughs> example afterwards. And to do that for over 20 years, I mean, obviously I, I, I idolise Dennis Cometti and Bruce McAvaney because they are able to do it many more times a year than I can. But um, uh, I, I just... You've got no idea how rewarding it is and how Australian it is and how uh, it led to so many other things in a career, you know, like we wouldn't have been able to do the Olympics if we didn't have that sort of experience. You know, we wouldn't – this year we're working on a show, I don't think it's uh, broadcast in Melbourne. In fact, I know it's not broadcast in Melbourne, called Bludging on the Blind Side and we made a series for the Olympics called Dodging Armageddon. That appeared on a – uh, podcast and the whole way it uh, found a whole new audience for us and we felt as though we'd tackled a new technology had invented a way of using the new technology had sort of brought something to the new te- to that sort of technology and th- that was extremely rewarding as well and extremely satisfying in the same way as marrying the simple idea of a radio station and a television picture was the, the case you know when we started doing that in the late 80s. Well, one thing I've always loved about you and Roy is that positivity that you bring to the space and also the inspiration that that space is for everyone. So what has it meant that we now have an AFLW and more women are prominent on the national stage? Well, I... I've got to be honest, is my favourite quote about this is I think Carlton played Collingwood in the first AFW match, AFLW match. That may be wrong, but the Carlton was certainly involved. And after the match, a journalist went up to the Carlton captain and said, how does it feel? The interviewer didn't realise that this player had been playing for the last 10 years. I love that moment that this whole underground thing is, which has blossomed out of, you know, a very humble beginnings um, you know, and a real underground thing has been accepted so completely by, um, you know, society as a whole and seems to have encouraged more, uh, you know, I know the Matildas are always dominant side and and I remember around the time of the um, World Cup in Canada, which is about the one before the last one, I think that's right, anyway, thinking, wow, look at this, this is just so amazing, what a great 
you know, I hate using this term, what a great quality of game. And the, the, the women play it, they have a bit more space and so they can do more things and stuff like that. It's not so bogged down with blokeyism. Uh, that's changed a little bit as people, have, as people have worked out tactics and so on. But the AFLW still has that, that there's no, they're not to the limit of exploring the tactics. But there's something incredibly, um, incredibly, you know, interesting in the way that all these things, all these moving parts um, come together. Yeah, it's inspiring. Good on you. Inspiring. That's a good good word. <laughs> inspiring to people who yeah. not necessarily interested in sport. That's right. You know, it's inspiring. That, so, I know I know it's truism to say if you can't see it, you can't be it, and I understand that. But um, the the thing is that it's way better than that. It's 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 something to do with opportunity, and you know you don't have to accept what was there before, and you know I bang on about this all the time, but. Um, you know, that that you can have new things. Uh, we worry about climate change. Reference AFLW. There was no AFLW 10 years ago. I may be wrong about the numbers. But now we've got an AF, a flourishing AFLW side. Can't we do something similar with climate change? That That's what the thing speaks to me of. It doesn't, human endeavour is really what we're talking about here in sport. And, of course, human, we need human endeavour now more than ever. We need people to think differently and behave differently, but, they, but not accept what's given. And the women's AFLW has got that in spades. I just have to ask you one last question before we finish talking about the fairy tale, and that is what sport has the highest comedic value? This is a cack-handed way of answering that. The sport with the highest comedic value is the sport that takes itself deadly seriously. So you look around and you find there's nothing funnier than sport taking itself seriously. It's just incredibly funny. You know, that's I love, uh, you know, at the same time, hate. And remember, of course, a lot of it's written about the things that give us the shits. Uh, but, um, you know, I love this, the the... The, the dreadful seriousness, mock seriousness of, say, Seven's coverage of the Olympics. It's incredibly hilarious. You know, Basil, I still wake up clutching the air at Basil saying, to become a champion, you have to be the champion <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, he's <laughs> terribly clumsy and, oh, you know, that's so twee. Uh, and, you know, bring it home. What does that mean? Bring it home. You know? Well, you know what? You have brought it home. It is H.G. Nelson's The Fairy Tale, a real and imagined history of Australian sport. It's been such an honour and a pleasure to chat with you today. Thanks so much, H.G. Oh, that's a lovely set of questions. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.